28 years ago, uh, Union Carbide was about to lose one of their biggest contracts. And so they did what most companies did when they're about to lose money and they spent a little bit more. They hired a business consultant to come in and sit down with their 17 high-powered sales executives. And so this business consultant came in, they had these sales executives pitch to some sort of mock uh, some, some mock clients. And so basically over the course of two weeks, this consultant tracked what these sales executives said in the meeting. And at the end of the two weeks, she came away having charted the way they use their time. She said that at the end of the weeks, she found that the sales executive used, quote, telling statements 85% of the time, leaving only 15% of the time for questions. And what's more, almost all the questions that the sales executive asked were actually statements in disguise. They said things like, don't you think this is a really good deal? Don't you think our product would be a better value than any of our competitors could provide? Those aren't questions. And so at the end of the two weeks, she compiled a report and the report said this. She said, the sales executives were talking and talking, all the while thinking that they were carrying on good productive conversations. She said, after having visited several thousand businesses and then talking with people outside of businesses for the past couple dozen years, she said, I can tell you that this is a pretty common problem. People usually think that they're carrying on dialogues, but in fact, they're actually just sitting down and exchanging monologues. People think they're talking to each other when actually they're talking past each other. And I read that article and I wondered, do you think that's possible in our relationship with God? Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to transition from seeing prayer primarily as an opportunity for us to trot out our laundry list of things that God would like to do and start listening to him. But I wonder if it's possible for us in this business consultant's words to think even in our listening that we're carrying on good productive conversations all the while we're not hearing or missing substantial portions of what God wants to say. And so I hear the text from Amos 8 today, and I'm intrigued because the prophet Amos says in the eighth chapter, there will be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord, not a famine of the word of the Lord. God's still talking. It's just that when, his, when he did, his people found they weren't able to hear him. So why is that? Because if you, like me, have grown up in a church that believes that God really wants us to know what his heart is, you're probably taught that all you need to do to know God's heart is to want it enough and to order your life around it. So I think, well, maybe they just don't want to hear the Lord. But then the text says, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. So they're ordering their lives. They're taking off vacation in order to go on spiritual retreats, but they don't hear from the word of the Lord. So I think, well, maybe they're just not reading their Bibles. But these are people who have been raised not just with scripture memorization around their dining room tables, although they've done that, not just with hearing the Bible read publicly, though they've done that. These are people who have what we would refer to as a scriptural imagination. They can't conceive of their identity without finding it rooted in God's faithfulness. So they, they're going the right places. They're hearing scripture. Well, I think, well, maybe they're not showing up for corporate worship and accountability. But then Amos says all throughout the text, they're coming together for worship in places much like this, just like we are. And so I think, well, maybe they're not practicing spiritual disciplines. 
But Amos 5 and 6 says that they are going to religious festivals, they're doing burnt offerings, they're doing drink offerings. Some commentators are saying they've given as much as 20% of their income. That's two tithes to God's work. And so they're given the right amount. They're showing up at church. They read their Bible. They memorize their Bible. What else would you advise them to do? Right? And yet they still can't get in touch with the word of the Lord. And so I wonder why, right? So I read a little bit more into Amos and I see that this passage emerges from a series of passages that describes things that are happening in countries around Israel that grieve God's heart. And so he says things like, for three sins of Moab, I will not relent. For three sins of the Philistines, I will not relent. For three sins of the Ammonites, I will not relent from sending my judgment. And so Israel hears God roasting all the people that they hate. And one commentator says, you can almost see a smile spread across their collective face as the people they have grown to despise finally get what's coming to them. And then God turns to Israel, the people who not just have said that they've ordered their life around things that relate to hearing from God, but whose habits show it. And he points to them and he says, for three sins of Israel, I will not relent. The smile went away. He said, they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Stuff that they've extorted from the poor is piled up at the shrine of their God while they sit around drinking wine that they've conned from their victims. In contrast, God says, I was always on your side. I destroyed the Amorites who confronted you. I delivered you from Egypt. I led you safely through the wilderness for 40 years. And then I handed you the country of the Amorites like a piece of cake on a platter. I raised up some of your young people to be prophets. I set aside your best youth for training in holiness. Isn't this so, Israel? But you made the youth in training break training. And you told the young prophets, don't prophesy. You're too much for me. The problem isn't that the people of God have been wildly and moderately disobedient. The problem is that they've been moderately obedient and they've convinced themselves that that's enough. It's not that they're horrible, it's just that they are, in the words of AT&T ads, just okay. Let's watch one of those together. He's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. AT&T is America's best wireless network, according to America's biggest test. Now with 5G Evolution, the first step to 5G. Amos's audience was just okay. They had developed a system, right? Nobody starts out wanting to just be okay. They had developed a system of obedience that would propel them toward God's heart. But eventually, they had a better relationship with their system than they did with God's heart. And in fact, that system actually started to insulate them uh, from actions of obedience that were outside of their ordinary life. So that when God started to tug on their hearts about things that they didn't really want to hear from him about, they would just go back to your system. Can you hear this? Have you seen this happen? Maybe God's calling me to pay higher wages to my employees. I tithe already. You know, if I don't have the profits, I can't tithe as much. 
Maybe God's calling me to talk with people that I can afford to ignore because they're not really that crucial for my vision of success. Oh, but like I serve with some of those people at church on Sunday. That's probably enough. Maybe God's calling me to sacrifice some of the things that I can afford so I can give more generously. Oh, but like I already, burnt offerings cost a lot. Like I already give that. I think that's probably enough. And so gradually, in the name of doing right things for God, they built their lives around their system. They went to the right places. They talked to the right people. They gave and tied the right amount, but they didn't become right because they listened to God only if what he said boosted them another rung up the ladder they were interested in climbing as long as it didn't force them to look down at the people they were stepping on to get there. And so in comes Amos, speaking not to people who thought they were wicked, but people who thought that their religious life was going quite well. And tells them that if they ignore the inconvenient word of God for long enough, they'll eventually find that they no longer hear him at all because in the name of God, they had become what God despised. I wonder if we ever do that too. I wonder if we ever go to God to listen, but only if he's talking about stuff that we're interested in. I wonder if we go to God primarily even listening for questions that we come with that have to do with how we can be happier, with how we can be more fulfilled in our career, how we can enhance our net worth. I wonder if we convert scripture into a series of leadership principles that we use to climb another rung up the ladder or use the scripture and church and faith to inspire us to be more encouraged and happy about doing the things that we were already going to do. After all, they're not bad things. But I wonder if over time, our system of being with God can insulate us from the obvious clear word of God. I wonder if our systems of being inspired and reading the scripture can actually cause us to miss the fact that God keeps calling us back to realizing that there are things that we will not understand about scripture if we don't draw near to the poor. There are things that are impoverished in ourself that we'll never see until we see our vices called out by people who are different than us. And so church, I wonder if I'm honest, how often we've talked ourselves out of obedience because it doesn't seem reasonable. I wonder how often we have talked about the nearness of God to the, to the poor and the importance of being present in the moment while going to the Walmart checkout line and seeing the person in front of us get their card declined and we turn our eyes away because we don't wanna have to go there. We already tithe. I wonder how often we talk about justice in our neighborhoods and alter our commute route so we can stay out of the rougher ones. I wonder how often we think of our time and our talent and our treasure primarily in terms of how we can use them to emphasize our own goals. I wonder how often we go to the Bible and we come away saying things like the Bible is clear when what we mean is that it clearly agrees with us and can clearly be used as a weapon to inflict damage on someone else's worldview instead of clearly convicting us so God can pull out of us things we didn't even know were there. I wonder how often we gather in the name of God and miss God's voice entirely because while we're busy talking about our habits, our leadership, and our morals, and gossiping about our neighbors who don't share those things, we miss the fact that that's all we have because it's been a long time since we've heard a clear word from the Lord. 
And if we're honest, we don't even know where to start because we're doing everything we think we know. Fortunately, God does know where to start. And he tells Amos, which is very convenient for the text this morning. So let's turn back to Amos 2. I'll be reading the message. In contrast, God says, I was always on your side. I destroyed the Amorites who confronted you. I delivered you from Egypt. I led you safely through the desert. And then I handed you the country of the Amorites like a piece of cake on a platter. When God's people are completely unable to find their way or their hearing, God calls them back to hearing by reminding them of his character. He is the one who draws near to those in love who are not lovely themselves. He's the one that draws near to people who don't have resources to do for themselves and lifts them up. He is the one who approaches people who were once not a people and makes them a people. And so in order to regain their hearing, he tells Israel here, draw near to the people that I'm near to. Draw near to them and say to them with me, I'm on your side. Those words over the past couple weeks of being in this passage have captivated me because I wonder when it's time, somebody asked me this uh, this week, a good friend, he said, I wonder when it's time for your funeral, who will say of you, you know, let me tell you about Ethan, he was always on my side. And so as I've been in this text this week, I've had that question stick with me and I wonder about you. I wonder who will say, let me tell you about Jeannie. She was always on my side. Let me tell you about Elaine. Let me tell you about Janelle. They were always on my side. My hope is that as we think of ourselves as a church, that someone who, when it comes time for your funeral, we just had a beautiful one here yesterday for Millie, and a lot of people would say of Millie, she was always on my side, especially Wildcats. But I wonder if over the course of your life from this point forward, if there are people in your life right now that you currently overlook who would at your funeral get up and say, let me tell you about Sherry. Let me tell you about Grant. Let me tell you about Stephanie. They were always on my side. I'm hopeful that someone who's in a category that people often overlook will come to your funeral and say, when my friends abandoned me as a single mother, she gave me a place to stay. When I went before the judge, she sat back in the back of the courtroom and made sure that I wasn't alone. When I got my first job, she gave up the, the fund that she was saving for her own car so that I could have reliable transportation. When I was in the middle of an opioid addiction, she checked in on me and helped me get clean. When nobody else was interested in my story, he listened, started at a checkout line, came to coffee afterwards, and it was the first time I found out that my story actually had meaning in God's economy. I want you to think of a person right now, a, a literal face and a name of a person that you often overlook. I wonder what God will teach you through that person that you simply won't learn anywhere else.